Never in 25 centuries has there been an Israel that could sign a world peace contract with the one who comes to power, whoever he is and whenever it is. The clock is ticking. The end of time as we know it is fast approaching. The signs are everywhere, even in the heavens. This week on Connecting the Gap, we continue our study on prophecies of the Bible, and we're going to be starting out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're getting back into that right after this. Hey, it's time for another episode of Connecting the Gap. Thank you guys for joining me this week. We're going to be getting into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here in just a little bit as we continue our study on prophecies of the Bible. I'm Daniel Moore, your host for this podcast. You can visit my website, connectingthegap.net, to find everything out that you would like to know about our podcast and our ministry. There is a page there for... Uh, some posts that I've made on a blog, and then there's a contact page. All my podcast platforms are there. You can listen to the podcast, my YouTube, my Rumble channel. I'm also on the app Edify, and much, much more. So go check all of that out, and if you would be so kind, please share each week as we come out with a new episode of Connecting the Gap, as we try to build the ministry and build the lives of believers and teach non-believers alike through this ministry of Connecting the Gap. This is a study that's based on a study by Damon Duck. We're going to go ahead and get started into it. As I said, this week we are starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to start out with verses 1 through 9. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this passage here addresses the question, when will the day of the Lord or the tribulation period take place? We are told that we do not need an answer because we already have it. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This means it will come unexpectedly. Notice that the people will be saying when the day of the Lord arrives, peace and safety. The peace movement will be very strong, and the seven-year covenant signed by the Antichrist with many to protect Israel will create a false sense of peace and safety in the world. It will be like it was in Jeremiah's day when people said they had peace, but there was no peace. Notice also two things about what will happen to unbelievers when the day of the Lord arrives. Number one, destruction will come suddenly upon them the unbelievers who are proclaiming peace and safety, and secondly, they, the unbelievers, will not escape. Now notice four things about the believers. Number one, believers will not be caught by surprise. They know the signs. They are watching and will not be caught off guard. Number two, believers do not belong to the darkness. 
The day of the Lord is a day of darkness. Believers are children of light. Thirdly, believers are not appointed to suffer wrath. Not one drop of flood water fell on Noah. Not one spark of fire and brimstone fell on Lot. Not one iota of wrath will fall on believers. And fourth, believers are appointed to receive salvation. The blood of Jesus does this. Finally, notice four things about how believers should react. Number one, believers should not fall asleep. All of our life, many of us have heard the second coming is near. We have heard it so much, it would be easy for us to fall asleep. But we should stay awake. Secondly, believers should watch. Some are critical of Christians who study the prophetic signs, but Jesus wants us to be watching. The Bible says we can see the day approaching. Thirdly, believers should be alert and self-controlled. Some go overboard one way, selling everything, and sitting down to wait on His coming. Others go overboard in other ways and scoff at the idea of His coming again. Both attitudes are errant. We should stay busy and never scoff because it will happen when God is ready. And fourth, believers should put on faith, love, and hope. Faith comes from hearing the word, lovingly anticipating his appearing, should be rewarded with the crown of righteousness, and the second coming is our hope. Many Christians know absolutely nothing about Bible prophecy. Others who are faithful study it, but they come to different conclusions. Here are some reasons to believe in the pre-trib rapture, and I'm going to share those with you right now. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, A tribulation period comes as a thief in the night, but it will not catch the brethren as a thief in the night. Secondly, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15, The tribulation period is a day of darkness, but the brethren are not in darkness. Thirdly, the tribulation period is a day of wrath. That's in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15. But the brethren are not appointed unto wrath. And fourth, in Joel chapter 1, verse 15, the tribulation period is a day of destruction. The destruction comes upon them, but not us as believers. William T. James was quoted, One day, perhaps quite soon, a leader will step from the ranks of his contemporaries and through guile, persuasion, and diplomatic acumen unparalleled in the world's long, war-torn history, he will convince even the most skeptical Israelite hardliner to trust him to ensure Israel's security. It will be the covenant made with death and hell foretold by the prophet Daniel, which Isaiah the prophet said God himself will annul. That's in Isaiah 28, verse 18. How Lindsay also said, the rapture delivers believers from this period of destruction. Because peace negotiations have been going on for many years, some do not realize the significance of what is happening. This is because they do not understand that the negotiations are going through stages. Most of the current agreements are just steps toward a final settlement. The important thing now is the fact that negotiations have now reached the final stage and a comprehensive agreement is on the horizon. Peace negotiations in the Middle East have now reached a fever pitch. Experts say it's just a matter of time until a comprehensive agreement is signed. This is the kind of situation that will prevail when the tribulation period arrives, but the rapture will occur first. A very small minority of Christians believe in a partial rapture. They say the most spiritual Christians will be taken first, and the lukewarm or shallow Christians will be left behind to grow and become more mature or spiritually prepared. Pre-tribulation believers reject this as works salvation and a division of the body of Christ. 
more of what Paul told about the church at Thessalonica are follows. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus rescues Christians from God's forcoming wrath. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 to 20, saved souls are the joy of Christians. We now are through 1 Thessalonians. We're going to move into 2 Thessalonians at this point. And we're going to go to chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the day of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Here in these scriptures, the wicked understand practically nothing about the nature of God. He is a God who judges sin, and all his judgments are just. If he acted unjustly in any way, he would sin. But he is holy and cannot do that. So his very nature requires him to send trouble upon those who trouble his people. If someone enslaves his people during the tribulation period, they will be enslaved. If someone kills his people, they will be killed. It is also the nature of God to give relief to his people. He will do this when he comes in judgment at the end of the tribulation period. His powerful angels will be with him to gather those who have afflicted his people and bind them for judgment. Jesus will pour out his divine anger upon them because they did not take the opportunity to know God and because they refused to obey the gospel. These will be people who heard the gospel but refused to respond. The result of the Lord's divine anger will be horrible for the lost. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, which means they will be cast into the lake of fire. They will also be shut out from the presence of the Lord, which means they will be expelled from his kingdom. And they will be shut out from the glory of his power, which means they will be banished from the source of all good things. Victory will come when he returns to display his church at the end of the tribulation period. Then people will marvel at what he has done for his followers. Some Christians teach that church will convert the world and then Jesus will come back. But the Bible teaches that the second coming is necessary before most of the evil is done away with. Here are some reasons for the second coming of Christ. In Matthew 24:22 is to prevent from destroying everyone. In Revelation 19:20-21 is to capture the antichrist and the false prophet. In Matthew 24:31 is to gather and return all believing Jews to Israel. Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46 is to remove unbelievers from the earth. In Revelation 21 through 3 is to capture, bind, and chain Satan. In Daniel 12 2 and Revelation 20 verse 4 is to raise Old Testament and tribulation period saints. And in Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6 is to establish his kingdom on the earth. Billy Graham was quoted, For the Christian believer, the return of Christ is comforting. For at last, men and women of faith will be exonerated. They will be avenged. The non-believer will see and understand why true Christians march to the sound of another drum. But for the sinful unbeliever, the triumphant return of Christ will prove disastrous, because God's return ensures final judgment. Everlasting destruction does not mean total annihilation or ceasing to exist. 
It means being cast into the lake of fire and being cut off from the goodness of God forever. Terrible calamities await all those who harm those who turn to God after the rapture. The wicked will receive affliction for affliction, misery for misery, woe for woe. Those who harm God's people will be repaid at the second coming. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to read a good chunk of scripture here, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness." This passage of Scripture was written to correct several mistaken beliefs that cropped up in the early Thessalonian church. Apparently, someone created an erroneous document or report, falsely attributing it to Paul, and circulated it among the believers there. Some church members thought it was true and wrongly believed Jesus had already come to rapture his church, that they had somehow missed this great gathering in the sky, that the Antichrist had already arrived and that they had entered the tribulation period. Paul warned them not to become alarmed and not to let anyone deceive them about these things. He pointed out that there will be a great rebellion against God before the tribulation period arrives. This rebellion or apostasy will precede the tribulation period and pave the way for the appearance of the man doomed to destruction or the Antichrist. One of the things this wicked man, the Antichrist, will do is to think he is greater than everything that is worshipped. He will go to the temple and announce that he is God. Daniel called this terrible act the abomination of desolation, and Jesus himself spoke of it. From what they said, it is obvious that this will take place at the tribulation period midpoint, and it implies that the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. When the Jews see this, many of them will flee into the mountains. Paul reminded the Thessalonians that he told them all these things when he was with them. He rebuked them because they had been taught and should not have allowed themselves to be so easily led astray. He reminded them that they knew what is holding the Antichrist back and that it is being done to prevent this wicked man from being revealed before God's appointed time. Paul assured the Thessalonians that the secret power of lawlessness or the power of rebellion, the spirit of the Antichrist, was already with them and working among them, but that the Antichrist himself would continue to be held back. Hence, the power of rebellion is working in the world, but it is partially restrained and it will remain partially restrained until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. This will happen when the church is raptured. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the church is helping to check the great rebellion and also preventing the appearance of the Antichrist. 
After the church is raptured and the Holy Spirit is removed with it, God will let the Antichrist be revealed. He will rule until Jesus returns at his second coming to capture and destroy him. Jesus will do this to the Antichrist because the Antichrist reign will be brought about by the work of Satan. The Antichrist will use the power of Satan to perform many kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and to do all kinds of evil things to deceive people. Multitudes will perish because they will not listen to the word of God when they are exposed to it, and they refuse to be saved while they have the opportunity. God will make sure they are deceived by the Antichrist to punish them for not listening and being saved. He will judge them for rejecting the truth about his son and for enjoying their life of sin. Most Christians have loved ones who are not saved, and it troubles them to hear that their loved ones will be deceived after the rapture. But the Jews were blinded because they refused to believe the scriptures about the first coming of Jesus, where it speaks of it in Luke 19, 41-44. The Lord spoke in parables to those who rejected the gospel, would not understand what he was saying. That's spoke of in Matthew 13, verses 10-17. through 17. He refused to give a sign to the unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees except for the sign of Jonah, as in Matthew 16, 1-4. He said the way is narrow and difficult, in Matthew 7, 13-14. He said the lukewarm will be vomited out, in Revelation 3, 14-22. And Paul said he spoke God's wisdom in a mystery, so only those in a right relationship of God could understand it, in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. Some expositors disagree with the statement that this falling away is rebellion against God. The first seven English translations of the Bible, the Wycliffe, Tyndale, Cloverdale, Cranmer, Breaches, Beza, and Geneva, read that there will be a departing before the tribulation period arrives. For many years, most authorities believe Paul was talking about a physical departure or pre-trib rapture, but a minority believed he was talking about a spiritual departure or a departing from the faith. When the King James Version came out, it read falling away, and most authorities started saying it means falling away from the faith or rebellion against God. It really didn't change much. Both views are consistent with the other teachings of the Bible. Dave Hunt was quoted, These apostates, however, will not leave the church and announce themselves as atheists. They will not convert to Buddhism or Hinduism. While there are always some exceptions, it is important to understand that the apostasy doesn't represent a massive defection from Christianity, but a turning away from the truth within the professing church. Dave Brees was quoted, Here Paul introduces a character that will be consequenced during the days of the tribulation. And what does he call him? The great benefactor of mankind? No, the man of sin will be revealed, the man whose fundamental nature is sin. He is the embodiment of sin. Bill Perkins said, God currently allows a delicate balance of good and evil in the universe. For every depraved act, there is a righteous deed. As evil builds upon evil, Christianity builds on the rock. Both evil and good are increasing proportionately on the scales until the day when God removes the counterweight, leaving evil no restraint. The great rebellion has begun, and the rapture will soon follow. There will be two supernatural comings. The first will be the Antichrist, and the second will be Jesus. The Antichrist will appear at the beginning of the tribulation period. Jesus will appear at the end. In between these two comings will be a seven-year period of great evil, great deception, and great death. When the temple will be rebuilt is unknown, but most scholars think it will be after the rapture, and all agree that it will be before the tribulation period midpoint. 
That wraps up Second Thessalonians, and that also wraps up this week's episode of Connecting the Gap. Next week, when we come back, we will cruise on into First Timothy as we continue through the New Testament cruising on towards Revelation. Thank you once again for joining me this week. I'll be back again next week. Until then, you can visit my website, connectingthegap.net, and you can binge watch or listen all of my podcasts on my website there and also on all my podcast platforms. Please subscribe to one of those if you have not done so already. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, and the podcast app, Edify. Well, I'm out of here until next week. Thank you guys for joining me. Until then, God bless you, and don't forget... God's word never fails us. God's word has stood the test of time. And through Jesus' death on the cross, he has connected the gap.